Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you indeed for all that you've done for us. The way that you died while we were still sinners. Lord, we just can't thank you enough. I pray that somehow today as I share that, that I might help and you might move by your spirit to move us again at what we see at the cross. I'm afraid we take your cross for granted sometimes. But we thank you, Lord, that you would send your only begotten son. It amazes us again and again that you would die for us. So show us the cross again. Reveal to us again uh, your great sacrifice, your great agony, your great love, your great forgiveness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're still in John chapter 12. It's, it's, uh, John 12 is one of the longest chapters in the gospel of John, so it's, it's taken us a while to work through uh, this chapter. And uh, we're in verses 27, and I'm going to read through the beginning part of, of 36. It's listed there as 36a. There's no nomenclature of 36a, but that's just the way we say the, the first half of the, of the verse. But uh, Jesus is teaching here. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. Well, verse 27 tells us that Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, Save them from this hour, save me from this hour. But it was for this very purpose that I have come to this hour. You see, Jesus had entered Jerusalem one final time. In all of his life, in all of his ministry, he had ever been moving closer to the cross. And now it was upon him. And quite naturally, he's troubled, right? I mean, can you imagine? I think how much we dread an upcoming surgery and we have the blessing of anesthesia. But Jesus, I can't imagine. His soul was troubled because he knew that he was going to be tortured on a Roman cross. But Jesus never turned away. He resolutely kept going, saying, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. 
Can you imagine? Jesus prayed, verse 28, that God would be glorified in the cross. And God answered that he had been glorified and he would be glorified again. Just as Jesus glorified God's name in life, Jesus wanted to glorify God's name in his death. And indeed he did, for nowhere was God's extraordinary love for sinners and his wrath against sin and his perfect justice and redeeming grace and mercy more clear than at the cross. Two other times at Jesus' baptism and at his transfiguration, God's voice has come and his voice has said, I'm pleased with my son. Now his voice comes again and once again, God is pleased for his son is going to bring about redemption for all sinners. He's going to bring together God's eternal plan of redemption. <clears throat> and in verses 32 to 33, Jesus spoke of being lifted up from the earth. And John adds kind of a footnote. He says in verse 33, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. John wants to make it very clear here that he's talking about Jesus' crucifixion. Yes, he'll be lifted up from earth in his resurrection, but in the context here, Jesus is clearly referring to the cross. And to this day, to this day, wherever the cross is lifted up and the death and resurrection of Jesus is remembered, God is glorified. And people are drawn unto Christ and his salvation. I love the way John MacArthur puts it in his commentary. He wrote it this way. Of all the truths in the Christian faith, the death of Jesus Christ accompanied by his resurrection is the most precious. Had he not died, there would be no substitute for sin. Were there no substitute, there would be no offer of salvation. Were there no salvation, there would be no hope. And were there no hope, there would be no future but hell. So I want to ask us this morning, are we drawn to the crucified Christ? Are we drawn to the crucified Christ? Are we moved by the cross? Are we moved by the agony we see there? Are we moved by the great love we see there? Are we moved by the tremendous forgiveness we see there? And are we moved enough to respond and to keep responding over and over again to the cross? First, are we moved by the great agony we see at the cross? Are we moved that Jesus would suffer physical and spiritual agony for you and for me? Extreme torture for us? We've looked at Jesus' physical agony many times. I've reminded you, I'm sure Bucky reminded you quite often through the years, and, and so has numerous other pastors, I suspect, through the years, reminded you of that physical agony. Think about it again. Just a little bit of it. Jesus' back torn to shreds. Torn to shreds by whips. And those open wombs further agitated 
and torn as Jesus pushed himself up and down on the cross trying to catch his breath. For though the nails and the crown of thorns and the beating would have been terrible, terrible agony, it's my understanding that crucifixion ultimately comes because of suffocation. The death is suffocation. You see, the legs are left bent on the victim on purpose so that he can press himself up and gasp and catch his breath only to fall again when he no longer has strength to hold himself up. And that process is repeated over and over and over again until finally the victim has no strength left. So imagine our Lord pressing himself up (gasps) only to fall back down again. And he did that over and over again. You see, the cross was designed to extend torture. Some of you probably had the agony of momentarily not being able to catch your breath and you know how horrible that feels. Imagine what it must have been like for our Lord and Savior. Christ endured that physical agony and much, much more for you and for me. Though we're the ones who deserve to die, Jesus paid it all, all to Him we owe. Are you moved by the physical agony you see at the cross? And then there's the emotional and the spiritual agony. I mean, think about that one with me for a moment. Jesus had never known sin, never known anything about sin in terms of experiencing it and and committing it himself. And in those moments, Jesus was covered in sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who had never known a moment's isolation from God, cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think we can fathom completely the spiritual agony that Jesus was under in those moments. Think about Jesus, what he endured when our sin and the sin of the whole world was heaped upon him. And in those moments, he was cut off from the Father for the first time ever. Oh, beloved, are you drawn to Jesus by the physical and the spiritual agony He endured for you and you and me? Please don't ever lose sight. Don't ever lose sight of what Jesus endured for us. And then are you moved by the love you see there? Love is the reason Jesus endured such physical and spiritual agony. Make no mistake, the nails did not hold him there. Love held Jesus there. His love for you and for me, that's what held him there. Jesus was very clear. He could have called down thousands upon thousands of angels, but he did not. Because he loved and loves you and me. And his was a love that held nothing back. It's a love for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the whole world won't believe in him. 
but he still gave his life for the whole world. Jesus' love is, is even for the worst of sinners. You know, Jesus taught in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus was teaching his disciples at that moment, and we'll get to that text somewhere down the road, but a great, great love would die for friends. A great, great love would die for the inner circle of friends. But think about it. One of this inner circle betrayed him. Every one of them denied him. And the great truth of the gospel is that Jesus didn't just lay down his life for his friends or for the inner circle. He laid down his life for people whose sin made us his enemies if you will. Let me read again a passage that's perhaps familiar to a number of you. Romans 5, beginning with the sixth verse. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see his great love? While we were still sinners, Christ didn't wait for you and I to get it all together. He didn't wait for us to somehow get our mess straightened out. While we were still sinners, while we were basically his enemies, God's love in Jesus was so great that, that he was reconciling us to himself through the cross. I can't imagine the agony Jesus endured. But, but even more so, I can't fathom his great, 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 great love for all of us. I mean, God's son? God's son to save my sorry hide? I, I can't imagine. It's a love that surpasses knowledge. But I'm deeply moved by the love I see on the cross. And aren't you? Aren't you? And then there's the forgiveness that we see. Luke records that Jesus implored the Father to forgive the very people who mocked him and crucified him. Again, I can't imagine that kind of forgiveness. Luke also records that when a criminal hanging beside Jesus asked Jesus to remember him, Jesus forgave him and he told him, today you will be with me in paradise. And of course, it's by the cross that forgiveness is possible for all of us. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 1.17, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 
Jesus forgave those who nailed him to the cross. He forgave those. Uh, he, he pardoned a, a repentant criminal. And his atoning death is sufficient for the forgiveness of any person and any sin. I don't know about you, but I understand and embrace and sadly embody total depravity. Romans 3.10 and 23, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm messed up. And if I may be bold and perhaps a little rude, you're messed up too. I've always been a fan of Alan Jackson. And one of my favorite songs by Alan Jackson is Work in Progress. You remember that song? I'm a work in progress. And as that song ends, he says, I need a major tune-up. Maybe a full body off restoration. I'm tore up. If you know anything about automobile restoration, a full body off restoration is when you remove the entire body and you get down to the chassis and you get down in there in places that people don't see and you clean out that grime and that dirt and that rust and you clean it up and you paint it. That's us. We need a full body off restoration. We need full forgiveness. We're dirty in parts that no one can see, but Jesus sees them. And glory be to Jesus, he forgives us, and he cleans us up, and he sets us right with the Lord. Interesting, the Sunday school class that Gary Burkett leads has been studying Isaiah 52 and 53 over the past few weeks. And those chapters were written some 700 years before Jesus' crucifixion. But they clearly prophesy and describe his crucifixion. Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Are you moved by the forgiveness you see at the cross? That we've all gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I'm going to draw all mankind to me. Are you drawn to the cross? Are you pulled in towards Jesus when you see what happens at the cross? Are you moved by his agony, by his great love, by his forgiveness? You know, Max Lucado has written many great books. And perhaps one of his greatest and certainly one of my favorites is the book, He Chose the Nails. He Chose the Nails. For me, the title says it all. Jesus chose the nails. Jesus chose to go to the cross, and he did so because he loves you and he loves me. Lucado, in the closing chapter of his book, tells about a letter his father wrote him just before his father's death. 
His father knew he was passing, and so he wrote this letter to his son, Max, thinking it would be the very last letter he ever wrote his son. And Lucado asks, so don't you think he chose his words carefully? Don't you think you would if it was your final message to someone? You too would choose your words carefully. You would choose them very deliberately. Well concludes Lucado as only Max Lucado can. Knowing his final deeds would be forever pondered. Don't you think Jesus chose them carefully? Deliberately? Of course he did. There were no accidents that day. Jesus' last moments were not left up to chance. God chose the path. God selected the nails. Our Lord planted the trio of crosses, and he painted the sign. God was never more sovereign than in the details of the death of his son. As deliberately, Lucado says, as my father wrote the letter, so your father left you this message. I did it for you. I did it all for you. The agony, the love, the forgiveness, it's all for you. It's all for me. Are you moved by the cross? Are you moved enough to respond? Love so amazing, so divine, truly demands my soul, my life, my all. Will we respond? And will we give the Lord our all? Let's pray together. Indeed, Lord, your love is so amazing. It's, it's so divine. It indeed demands my soul, my life, my all. It demands that of all of us. Oh, Lord, remind us again and again of the wondrous cross. Help us see in you the great spiritual and physical agony you endured. May we see it and be so grateful for all that you did for us. Oh, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts to see anew and to experience your great love. Remind us that we're forgiven more than we deserve. Lord, I just personally can't really fully fathom all that you did on my behalf. I know that I'm not worthy of any of that. And that's the very reason you did it, because I never was worthy and I never will be worthy. And no one else will be as well. You came for us because you loved us. Again, nails didn't hold you there. Your great love held you there. Empower us to respond. Empower us to give you our all. Uh, empower us, Lord, to give you our best instead of always giving you our leftovers. Oh, Lord, have more of our hearts, more of our mind, more of our time and resources. 
have more of our devotion and service, Lord. And to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all glory, praise, and honor today and forevermore. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you might abound in hope. God bless you all. Amen.